know what you're listening to. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Did you not get the memo? Insanity ensues. Can't wait. Back at it here on this Wacky Wednesday edition of Snowman in the Morning. Man, we got a lot coming up for you, so uh, stick around. I have Ty Collins, the Wake Forest ESPN play-by-play, coming up in about 18 minutes from now. I'll also have uh, Eric Summers from uh, to talk Panthers. And also Connor O'Neill will join me. We'll close out the show talking all things Jalen Johnson. But let me go to Deshaun Watson here. Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston, which has put Houston in a world of problems, which I talked about yesterday. Apparently, someone got me hip to a rumor that the Carolina Panthers are planning to go all the way in to get Deshaun Watson, which I think would be the best move for Carolina. Now, this is going to involve a player that recently signed one hell of a contract extension But in talking to the right people and looking at history, a running back doesn't have a shelf life. And I hate saying that because in the new school NFL, a running back does not have a shelf life. Now, if you're talking about folks like Roger Craig and Walter Payton and Barry Sanders and those kind of running backs, you know, Thurman Thomas, they all they all had shelf lives. Okay. And except for Roger Craig, it led to Hall of Fame careers. I put Edgerrin James in that as well. Eric Dickerson, okay? But we're not talking about running backs like that. Even though Christian McCaffrey is the third running back ever to do the 1,000-1,000 campaign in a season, 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving, how many times has he gotten beat up? How many games did he miss this past year? Okay? He only played two games out of 16. Two. All right. And with a new regime in place, they're looking to get a quarterback because clearly Teddy Bridgewater was not the answer. He just what he, he just wasn't the answer. Sorry. And you need a quarterback that's going to be there for you and be the face of your franchise. So your franchise could make at least a five year investment. Deshaun Watson is 25 years old. You go in, you go all in and give and get the right package to Houston, which includes K- Christian McCaffrey. Then you really have a chance to land your franchise quarterback. Now, the next thing you got to shape up after you get him is the offensive line, because you don't want Deshaun Watson to go through some of the things that you've gone through already in Houston, which means a sorry offensive line. You know, people are going to get mad at me for saying it the way I'm saying it, but I'm going to say it the way it needs to be said. The Houston Texans in Deshaun Watson's tenure have had a sorry offensive line. And should the Carolina Panthers pull the trigger, go all in and make a King's Ransom trade for Deshaun Watson and lock him in for five years, that's going to be the key. Locking him in for a significant amount of time so you can have the time to move around the pieces you need to move around and get the pieces that you need to get in the draft and protect your prized jewel, okay? The one team that did this before was San Francisco, and it's unfortunate that they have not solved the offensive line yet. But given a Super Bowl trip, In 2019, they have a lot of confidence right now 
that they can fix the offensive line, that they can fix what they need to fix. They already got the parts. They already have the specialists. They just need that line up front. That's the same thing Carolina needs if they go all in and get Deshaun Watson right now. I have played back and forth with this. I've talked to my wife about this. She let me know her thoughts. And she said, you know what? I think they should go all in. I asked her why. She said, he's 25 years old. He can play the position. He can get you some passing yards. And he can also use his legs, but use them wisely. And I thought about it. I really thought about it. I talked to some other people. Desmond Johnson has been on with me. I'm going to talk to Eric Summers a little bit later on um, this morning about about this very subject. This is the subject I'm going to lead with. But after talking to, to some people, you know, I originally thought you can't give up Christian McCaffrey because he's the face of the franchise right now. Let's flip that script a little bit. What if Deshaun Watson was the face of your franchise? Especially in a division that houses the reigning Super Bowl champions in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Listen, New Orleans has a decision to make with their quarterback position. Atlanta has a decision to make with their quarterback position. Why don't you cut them off at the pass and go get Deshaun Watson? Go get a dynamic quarterback that can be the face of your franchise for at least five years, if not ten. You protect him correctly, he can play till he's 35, and he'll be the face of your franchise. You can land a running back that could, and I, I, I partially facetiously saying, saying this, replace Christian McCaffrey and give you the same kind of dynamic in the backfield that you would have if it were Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey. You can do all of this if you go get Deshaun Watson. Like I said, I've gone back and forth with this, and I was thinking, no, there's no way they could go all in for Deshaun Watson. Well, yes, they can. This is the time for them to go all in with Deshaun Watson. And you're talking about a guy who really doesn't believe in going all in for a player. I didn't believe that for the longest time until I saw the 49ers do it, till I saw the Bears do it, till I saw teams I started covering doing it, including the Indianapolis Colts. And they're built to win right now. They just need a quarterback. Well, if Carolina is going to compete in the NFC South, they have to have a quarterback. How many games has Teddy Bridgewater lost for them when they were within one possession, when they were within one score of the game? Anybody remember what happened in Minnesota? I certainly do. I sure as hell do. This is the time, okay? And a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy for thinking this way, but... Go with the times. This is the time to go all in for Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has made it clear he wants out of Houston. Houston has done him wrong since he came into the picture. All right? Houston has done him wrong in terms of uh, in terms of keeping him upright. Let's let's look at the ways that Oh, how do I not love thee? Let me count the ways. Let's look at this. No offensive line to protect him. They traded away DeAndre Hopkins for an old-ass running back, forgive me, that couldn't produce for them. Okay? The defense has been downgraded because the defense has been on the field most of, most of the year because they couldn't stop the run to save, they lo- to save their lives. And the biggest thing... They have undervalued Deshaun Watson. They've undervalued his performance. 
They've undervalued how many times he's rescued them. Anybody remember the Buffalo playoff game in Houston where he got kicked in the eye? Actually, that's not correct. That's against uh, the Raiders. I beg your pardon. But I go back to that playoff game in Houston. I go back to that playoff game. Listen, Deshaun Watson, I'll give you a division example of how they have done him wrong. And I'll use a six-game span. Six games against the Indianapolis Colts post-Andrew Luck or with and post-Andrew Luck, three and three. And the playoff game in Houston should have been the last straw for Deshaun Watson right there. That should have been the last straw because you allow an Indianapolis Colts team that you beat to claim the division title Walk into your house and go up 21 to nothing before you can blink. 21 to nothing. They lose the game 24-14 and eliminated from the playoffs. They beat Buffalo in the wild card game the next year. They go up 24 nothing against the Kansas City Chiefs and lose. And lose. How bad is that? When you're up 20... I, I, <laughs> There's so many examples I can go to here. You're up 24-0 against the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay? The number two seed in the AFC. We know who the number one seed was. It was the Baltimore Ravens. And you gamble on a fourth down with a fake punt in your own territory. And you don't gamble on fourth and an inch from the 10-yard line of Kansas City. Take the points, go up 24-0, which woke up the sleeping giant and then Kansas City rips off 28 in a row in 10 minutes that should have been the last straw right there okay when Bill O'Brien got fired five games into the 2020 season Deshaun Watson should have gone with him and I don't mean that in a negative standpoint as far as Deshaun Watson is concerned what I'm saying is Deshaun Watson should have been traded right then and there get him out of Houston get him out of a situation where they are going to they, they are coming after him and again I go back to three and three against the Indianapolis Colts two of those wins were in Houston Won this past year by six points. Houston was up 14 to nothing. And they allowed the Colts to come back and beat them. They allowed the Colts to come back and beat them. What makes it even worse? What makes it, you know, I, I, I'll change a statement. You know when they should have let Deshaun Watson go? You know when they should have pulled the trigger on Deshaun Watson? They should have pulled the trigger on Deshaun Watson when they traded DeAndre Hopkins. De, uh, Deshaun Watson was mad right there. And then is when they should have pulled the trigger on trading Deshaun Watson. Why? Because you just got rid of his best receiver. Houston's never had a tight end to throw, in, to, throw to aside of J.J. Watt. I mean a really, and I mean beyond a serviceable tight end because the game has gone to the spread and the tight ends are the biggest part of the spread. Thank you, Bill Walsh, the late great Bill Walsh, the godfather of the West Coast offense who uses two positions that Kansas City uses well and San Francisco uses well. That's the fullback and that's the tight end. They've never had a fullback. Deshaun Watson has never had weapons to rely on in the postseason. 
And if he's relied on them, it's only been for a short period of time, like the first half against Kansas City. Houston is in a fix. Deshaun Watson is in a bigger fix. And Deshaun Watson needs to get out. So, Carolina, your phone's ringing. You need to make some phone calls. GM Federer of the Carolina Panthers needs to make some phone calls right now. Talk to whoever you need to talk to. Clear up the space you need to clear up. Because that contract is going to come into play. Deshaun Watson's not taking a pay cut. You got to have the money available right now, which means some moves have to be made and some people need to be jettisoned to get your franchise quarterback. And Carolina's franchise quarterback could very well be named Deshaun Watson. Could very well be named Deshaun Watson. Okay? What the hell can you do? Do whatever you have to do. I thought the idea was to win. You know, everybody's talking about Everybody's talking about loyalty, and I love the fact that people are loyal. How about how, how about the management be loyal to the fans and put a competitive product on the field? It's not going to happen in Houston anytime soon. It could happen in Carolina, okay? It may cost them Curtis Samuel. It may cost them Christian McCaffrey. It may cost them some draft picks. But if you want to seal up the quarterback position a healthy and get a healthy quarterback in here now, who is in his mid-20s and can give you at least 10 years on the docket as long as you surround him with weapons, as long as you surround him with an offensive line, then Carolina's phone needs to be off the hook, making all kinds of phone calls. Carolina's phone needs to be ringing. Carolina's phone needs to be beyond buzzing. And this is the time to get him. Get him now, make your package good for him or presentation good for him, and get him into Carolina. That way you can get him into a full offseason. He can learn all the plays that he needs to learn. Okay? The checkdowns and everything. You don't want a repeat of checkdown Teddy. You want someone that can be bold enough to run this offense, and Teddy Bridgewater was not especially since he came back from COVID. It's time, Carolina. It's time. Deshaun Watson should be your franchise quarterback, and you need to go get him now, right now. It'll cost you McCaffrey. It'll cost you Samuel. But you know what? The investment will be worth it. Pause for a break, and when we come, come back from this timeout, then I will talk to a player who's – I'll talk to a player. I'll talk to a guy who's the Wake Forest ESPN play-by-play announcer. How is he coping with COVID? More after this. This is Snowman in the Morning. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire 
Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. The Wacky Wednesday edition of Snowman in the Morning continues, and we're going to play a little mic to mic. I haven't had this segment on in a while. Don't forget, you can catch a replay of the show on all of our networks. Uh, check your list, check your audio listings for that. But I want to welcome Ty Collins, who is the Wake Forest ESPN play-by-play announcer, and we're going to have a little fun for the next fifteen minutes. Ty, how are you, my man? Good to talk to you this morning. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. I hate COVID, and I hate not doing play-by-play <laughs> enough. That's exactly what I said <laughs> to you before this segment started. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you've been, what did you tell me before we came on? You've been in quarantine for two weeks? Yeah, Yeesh. I was in quarantine. Yeah, just getting out. Uh my uh, kid tested positive, so ah, we had to go okay. through the whole shutdown situation here. So, oh, man. But I'm everything's s- fine, though. Good, yeah. good, good. How old is the little one? Two. That explains a lot. Got to take care of the yep. best, especially got to take care of the little ones. How'd you get into yeah, exactly. doing, how'd you get into doing play-by-play? What got you started? Well, I did it in college. Uh, for a D2 school, UNC Pembroke, small. And we were just now starting streaming. And um, so I've always been interested in it. And just because I was a broadcast student, they uh, asked me if I'd like to do a couple games. And I really liked it. And then uh, I, I looked maybe towards doing a sports anchor, like ESPN-wise. That was kind of looked the goal that I wanted. And then after a while, I just realized, you know, that was what I really, really wanted and really loved was being at the game and describing what I'm seeing. And any way I can get closer to the game, That's where that was where I think my happiness was. So then I luckily stumbled upon a, a friend of mine that he uh, needed somebody to call some soccer games. And I was a former soccer player, so I've never did soccer so i said sure let's do it and uh did it and then that kind of evolved into some basketball games then they wake forest moved into the uh, acc network stuff so then they they kept they kept calling my phone and i kept answering and and was let's go let's do it and then uh, next thing you know this past fall i had uh first nationally broadcast game that I uh, broadcasted when uh, Wake played UAB. That was on the 7 o'clock. Of course, the football game went in overtime, so we didn't get to start right away. But <laughs> it was, uh, it, it was, uh, it was uh, quite a experience that uh, I won't forget. I was doing it remotely, but mm-hmm. um, it still was exciting. Yeah. Very, very nerve-wracking at the beginning, but uh, it was fun. Something to put on the resume, and I just, just love doing it. Just something I love preparing for it. Um, and, uh, you know, once you love preparing and the hard work that goes behind a research, that's when, you know, I think that it's, it's more than just work. It's a passion. And if you can get paid for it, then heck, keep doing it. Absolutely. Who are some of the voices that got you started? Who would, who were some of the voice, who was the voice or some of the voices that turned the bug on in your ear that said, you know what? I think I can do this. 
So you are you like when growing up, like who got me mm-hmm. in into this? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, you know I have to go back to uh, Pat Summerall, uh, Al Michaels, and uh, Vince Scully, the legends. Yeah. Uh, but really, the main person who really got me into going into broadcasting was Stu Scott because I. Uh, was you know in high school had no idea really where I wanted to go just like everybody right and I was at, at Reynolds and I went and, and sat down with a guidance counselor and she was like when you go to college what are you thinking about majoring and I said you know I don't know exactly I'm just ready to go to college and she said well have you think of, ever thought about uh, broadcasting and I said eh, maybe I mean I've taken some broadcasting classes so she takes out a a yearbook and flips the page and finds the page where Stuart Scott is. Points nice. her finger there and says, you know who that is? And I said, yes, I know who that is. And said, you know he went here? And I said, no. And uh, so that kind of was like the sign. And I've always was a big fan of Stuart Scott to find out that he went to my high school and uh, actually lived close to where I grew up is was something that said, you know what? Um, I'm going to pursue this. So, but um, as far as the play-by-play voices, it was something about you know CBS watching NFC football and Pat Summerall um, <laughs> yeah. calling football games, and when my favorite team was actually good then, and hearing him make uh, you know calls that they scored a touchdown, touchdown Washington, and I, I just <laughs> you know was was ready to go. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pat Summerall is one of my favorite voices. Um, Vince Scully, I, I couldn't help but you couldn't help but listen to Vince Scully. And here's a little factoid yeah. for you: Vince Scully called football for CBS before he went to do yeah. baseball full time. In fact, his last game was the catch with the Forty ers beating the Cowboys, and he went to do baseball full time. Of course, he was the uh, ever-present longtime voice of the Dodgers. Jack Buck was another one of my favorites that I loved listening to. Tell me about your first game that you that you ever did and if you had any quirks that you had to get through to get to um to get to finish to get to do that game. Yeah, I think the first well the first game when I when I did it at school, uh, you know, it wasn't much prepare uh, preparation time. It was kind of I just went there and thought you just get in front of a mic, you know the players, and then go. Uh, <laughs> then I thought you know there's got to be more. <laughs> there's got to be more to this. Oh yeah. And then you you listen, <laughs> you listen to Vince Scully and you're like, <laughs> how does this guy know all these stories? And so it was really. Uh, kind of trial by fire you know yep. I went, um, and then try to figure it out myself yeah. and uh then i wanted to add a little more to the broadcast and then i noticed some of the guys that were a little bit more successful than i was at the time saw what they brought and i'm like oh kind of like copying off your off the paper at high school you're like, oh mm-hmm. okay i see what you're going here mm-hmm. so then <laughs> yeah so then now it is a totally different ball game i mean yeah. it is like prep it's 90 percent prep and it is 10 is what you yeah so i grew up never in, never thought about that yeah i grew up in chicago and chicago state is where i started in 1995 
And the voice I listened to was uh, Jim Durham, longtime voice of the Bulls. And I thought the same way you yeah. did. You you look at the rosters, sit in front of a microphone and go. Boy, I got a kick in the pants after that night. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. first game, every anybody who has done play by play or does also what I do, which is which is sports talk, and I'm going on eight years and doing that. What a lot of y'all don't realize, the first time you get in front of a microphone and you think you've accomplished something without preparation, you get a real kick in the pants after that because people will come to you with all kinds of advice of why didn't you mention this? Why didn't you mention that? What happened in this story? And you're going, what? I have to yeah. do all of this? But I, I also uh, give this advice to my mentees also. There's a lot of research involved, especially with a play-by-play call. Oh, yeah. And I, I'll yeah. tell you the funniest story. One of the funniest stories that I've that that I've had. Um, it was 2009, and I was at Chicago State. We were playing Utah Valley, and Utah Valley went up by 13 in the second half. So I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a short post game. I got a 45 minute drive home. I can get to bed early. Ha! Huh. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Chicago State winds up wiping that deficit out, ties the game at 79 with a half a minute left. Utah misses a shot to win the game, and that's when the odyssey really began. Four overtimes mm. later, four overtimes later, the, the final was 123 <laughs> to 121 Utah Valley, and we got – uh, the players that I wanted to because everybody wanted to calm down, and I understand that, especially when you do post-game interviews. I didn't realize our post-game had ran a full 90 minutes after that because I was just talking to everybody. Oh. We were just reaching out and getting everybody that we could, talking about that historic game, and by the time I got home at 2.30 in the morning, I fell out on my couch. <laughs> I didn't even make it to bed. I didn't even make it out of my, I didn't even make it out of my suit. I unloosened my tie, I took off my shoes, and I passed out. <laughs> you ever have one of those yeah, kind of can, games? Can, uh, well, I've had some baseball games that I've done where my wife would say, you know, when do you think, do you think you'd be back? And <laughs> I would, uh, not thinking, I would say, well, let's think. Uh, I'd say this time, and then they go into extra innings or there's a weather <laughs> delay, and then I'm, I'm at the ballpark for seven hours. So, and she's like, well, I thought you'd be home by now. I said, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, not the case. So now oh, if any time there's baseball that I'm doing baseball, I'm like, don't ask. Just, just <laughs> I'll, I'll text you when I'm leaving. <laughs> that's what my wife tells me now. now. I don't want to jinx. You don't want to jinx it. Especially if you have, especially nope. for you broadcasters that have families, you don't want to jinx it because my wife has asked me a ton of times, when are you going to be back, especially during basketball or baseball, uh, because she couldn't, uh, she couldn't go with me, and I would, I too would say, you know, I'll be back at, I'll be back at this time. I'll come home a couple of hours after that. Finally, get out of my, get out of my suit, and then my wife would just be sitting there laughing at me as you go ten thirty, huh? And I'm cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You can never really put a time on this. Nope. And you know what? I, I had two kids, so now it's like 
I have to maybe get a, a neighborhood. And mm-hmm. it's, I even hate kind of trying to maybe predict a little bit of close to the neighborhood what I'm what I'm saying, uh, giving yeah. an idea what the time would be. Yep. Because I, I, I give her I give her the disclaimer at the end, but we never know. So, <laughs> I, 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 I should be here at this time, but we just never know. <laughs> And for all you, and the last thing you need is, is some yeah. <laughs> for all you young broadcasters that are fathers, especially of, of of young ones. I have grandchildren that are as young as your children, dude. <laughs> they, they'll be looking at you going, and where have? Uh, tell me you haven't gone through this with your children. They'll just look at you, be, look at you, and go, and where have you been? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't understand. They don't quite understand it. Why? Is it, why is he going to, to work at you know four o'clock? Doesn't come home. While I'm I'm asleep. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> uh, I I, <laughs> I did take my kid to one soccer game, um, and uh, that was fun. <laughs> uh, just where I was broadcasting, and then yeah. he came on the field after where I could do some questions. Yeah, the, the team loved it because he was going around asking, "Did you score? Did you score?" Like <laughs> it was just a one game. It was a one nothing game. Not everybody scored. <laughs> right? They don't care. They they do. So, they want. They want to know. No, they don't. One final. One final question. What kind of adjustments have you had to make? You know, working remotely with all the COVID protocols in place. Uh, um, I see. I'm trying to think adjustments. I you know. Going from the times where I would do some practicing, um, and I did some practicing during COVID, like in the, the early stages, mm-hmm. March, April of last year, mm-hmm. um, and then how I kind of started when I was little, I would play Madden and call games. I was playing Madden from you know my little TV screen. So really, when I went and did my first remote, I was like, this is not anything different. Um, it's just you're looking at a screen. It's a 60-inch plasma, <laughs> and you're calling the game. Yep. But <laughs> you don't have the you don't feel the energy from the fans. Right. That's what uh, I think people and and maybe even networks don't quite understand because this remote technology is great now because say broadcasters like us we, maybe we could we could. Really, technically, we could go down in our basement and call a game. And yeah, we could. Yeah, we just we're done. We go back upstairs mm-hmm. and and go go to sleep. <laughs> but at the same time, is you don't feel that energy being there. You don't feel the whole like the the the, the vibes of, of 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 sports or whatever. How this say a rivalry is? Can you feel right. the uh, intensity between the two? And then how the fans are reacting? And someone has calmed me down because if there's a big game and the fans are allowed, I'll somehow get way into it and maybe <laughs> uh, get maybe do a call. It's a little too elaborate. But yep. At the same time, it's like yep. it's with the moment, but and the fans are with you, it, so you're feeling it, and it kind of just amplifies, and you're like, well, well. I mean, that was a good that was a I, good moment, but I don't know if I went that if I went right, that far. But, right, right. Um, I, I I laugh because I've been you, there. I, I laugh because I've been there yeah. in 24 years. And I'll leave y'all with this story, and and folks know what what happened. I, I'm going to play the calls a little bit later on in the season, but um, I want to say it's two. Th- it was 2012 when I was covering 
um, high school regional uh, playoff action in Chicago. And it was one of those teams that was a Cinderella team, the Marist Redhawks. Anybody who knows me, they know of this story. Um, Marist was playing the number six team in the state of Illinois in the Curie Condors. A three was hit to basically win the game, and I went nuts. Did I was yelling out the side of my neck. I was so excited for those kids because they were the underdogs. I was yelling out the side of my neck. I was so tired. When I got home and passed out, I basically slept all day Saturday. It was a Friday night game. I slept all day Saturday. Sunday, I get a message saying um, Deadspin.com got a hold of your call from the Marist game. I read the story, and I'm like, eh, they're taking shots at me, whatever. But then that Monday... I get an email address saying, hey, your call was so legendary, it's on its way to ESPN. And I'm half asleep, and I'm going, okay, it's on my way to, it's on its way to, (laughs) wait, what? (laughs) I'll tell, I'll tell the entire, yeah, those are the moments you savor, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, when you get lost in the moment, I mean, basically, we're, we're we're fans, so we're just Mm -hmm. trying to get lost in the moment, and kind of show how the fans are watching it at home or listening under the radio, how exciting that moment is. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I don't have any problem when, when you see some broadcasters like lose their mind for a second. Cause it's like that to me shows the passion that the broadcaster has for the sport. And if you can, I guess, project that to your fans and to the listeners to even step up, that broadcast and make that um, more of a cinematic time. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, it is. To me, that's just, that's part of your job. And, uh, you know, I don't want a dull computer voice that's right. monotone throughout the game. I want to hear, I want to hear some kind of emotion that feels like, hey, I'm with this guy. He's sitting beside me at in section whatever, and we're watching this game. Yeah, he won't keep, he won't shut up. But you know, he's you, doing the play by play, and then he shows the emotion of how I'm feeling. Exactly. But, you know, it, it's, that's that's, that, that's the kind of combination you want. That. Yep, that's the kind of combination you want. Ty Collins, ACC Network play by play, joining me here for a little bit of a mic to mic session. This segment will be renewed. Here on the program, and I'll have a lot more broadcasters on the program with me. Ty, a pleasure, my friend. I hope you come back soon. Yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. I would love to come back anytime, anywhere. Thank you, partner. I appreciate it. Take care now. That's fun. That's fun. I'll tell that entire story about the Maris Miracles on the anniversary thereof but as of right now we're headed to a break and i got some more stuff here to i got some more stuff to discuss and what i want to discuss next takes us back to nba basketball because people don't believe that the lakers lost their mvp to an injury i got a couple of other wild card stuff that i want to discuss also halftime here at snowman in the morning All right, time to do some cat scratching. 
And Eric Summers has joined me, one of my good buddies who covers the Carolina Panthers. Eric, how are you, man? Good to talk to you this morning. I'm doing real good, Brian. How are you doing? It's an early day, and we're off to the races. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll get to what I talked about earlier this morning in a moment, but K1 Short has been cut by the Carolina Panthers. Your early thoughts? It's, you know, it's a real shame. Uh, the football gods can be very, very cruel to some very talented people. Uh, K1 Short, without a doubt, one of the best defensive tackles this uh, franchise has ever had, and we've had some good ones. Um, didn't look like the same player last year after one shoulder surgery and now with a second shoulder surgery on the opposite shoulder. Um, it was kind of a kind of a no-brainer that the Panthers had to make that move. They just couldn't afford to take the cap hit next year, and there's just no way that he would live up to his projected salary. So you hate you hate to see him go because he was a great pick for us. He was a great player for us and certainly a well-liked player. Um, but it's it's the right move by the Panthers. You just hate to see a career uh, at a franchise in that way, I would say. Where do you think he'll land, if if anywhere? Oh, I'm pretty sure one of our transposed uh, satellite programs are going to pick him up, either the <laughs> Buffalo Bills or the Washington football team. Yeah. Uh, I bet one of them is going to take a – it's just too, there's too much familiarity, and he's going to be – probably available for an attractive price um if you're not the carolina panthers you're at least interested in him as a depth piece as somebody that you can sign to provide leadership um there's a lot of reasons why you would want him beyond on-field talent and i, I mean i don't think he's necessarily a full-time starter anymore he could be who knows mm -hmm. who knows what kind of surgery the magic uh happened but it just seems unlikely to me so I've got to believe that he ends up either with the Buffalo Bills or the Washington football team just based on familiarity alone. Eric Summers joining me here on the program. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Tater, T-A-T-E-R 596. Also, you can read his work at CatScratchReader.com. All right, now to the $64 million question, which I weighed in on this morning. Do the Panthers open the floodgates and go all in for Deshaun Watson? So actually the $64 million question, huh? <laughs> mm. One of, um, one of yeah, many that I, I have for this offseason. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. That's definitely a big money question. Uh, my opinion, and I, I can't understate this, if you have the ability to acquire a talent like Sean Watson, a known quantity, a known all-pro quarterback, somebody who was able to throw for nearly 5,000 yards last year, on a team that is offensively way worse than yours. Mm -hmm. um, a guy who could potentially set your team up for a decade or more at the quarterback position. Um, I don't think there is a such thing as too high a price. Uh, I think, you know, you can say, oh, three first-round picks. Well, what, what would you get with that? Well, that's kind of the point. Even if you're talking about three first-round picks, you don't, you don't have any guarantees when it comes to the draft. True. You know, and I don't know if, three good first-round picks even adds up to one Deshaun Watson when you talk about how hard it is to get a franchise quarterback. I mean, I'm pretty sure if Deshaun Watson is our quarterback this past season, we might have made the playoffs, and mm -hmm. we could have been real competitive in the playoffs because he would have done 
just amazing things with the speed we have at wide receiver. And, and some um, of those games so, you lose, you don't lose. Minnesota comes to mind. Chicago comes to mind. Some of those games that oh, you yeah. let get away, eight of them within a possession, they don't get away. Oh, yeah, and some of them are, are never even within a possession to begin with. I mean, right. if you give Watson some of the opportunities we gave Bridgewater, the final score might be lopsided. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason why you wouldn't send the farm for Deshaun Watson. I mean, yes, it hurts to lose three first-round picks if that's the real price, but Deshaun Watson being who he is and being brought into a pretty ideal situation in Carolina, um, I'd make that trade. And if I'm a new general manager, I would stake my new career on that trade. I think it's I think it's one that would easily pay for itself very quickly. And you can find the pieces to put around him second round and later or through free agency or what, whatever you have to do. You can make the moves. But if you've got Deshaun Watson, I fully feel that you always have a chance. I posed this uh, scenario earlier in the program, and people have spoken to me about it. Do you include Christian McCaffrey in any of those deals? Uh, I think if you include McCaffrey, you have, I don't think you can offer the three first-round picks and McCaffrey. Because then you're effectively offering four first-round picks. Uh, you know, it, it would be a steep price. I would, you know, if I saw them do it, I would be like, oh, that hurts. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I would understand if that's what if that's what it takes to push it over the threshold. I'm here for it. Um, you know. I, I think you know. I think if we're putting Chris McCaffrey in the deal, I think it would be a really solid offer to say two first-round picks and Christian McCaffrey. As much as I would absolutely love to see, and I'm sure Deshaun Watson would love to see uh, Christian McCaffrey sharing a backfield with him. So let's go. Let, let's go with that. McCaffrey and Watson in the same backfield. If they offer the three first-round picks to Houston. Houston bites on the deal, sends Carolina Deshaun Watson. You keep McCaffrey. You allow McCaffrey to get healthy. How dangerous of a backfield can that be? Ridiculous is the word that comes to mind. Uh, I mean, we're talking, we're talking essentially, I mean, you know, a, a slightly lower running talent than Cam Newton, but a, a higher arm talent. Um, you know, it, it's a, and I'm talking prime Cam Newton. I'm not talking even current Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's extremely dangerous. And not only is that a dangerous backfield, you know, McCaffrey's basically your second best wide receiver right away. Then you've got downfield threats galore and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. You have to assume Samuel's probably gone if we have to make this trade just because we won't be able to afford him. Right. Um, but even so, you can bolster your ranks. Uh, you can go out and maybe get a free agent tight end like Gerald Everett from the LA Rams mm-hmm. at a pretty good deal. Give him a good outlet there. Um, th- this this offense becomes really, really extremely dangerous if you put all those weapons together. It doesn't, you know, you, the offensive line is always a concern, but quite frankly, somebody's going to be open all the time. Eric Summers uh, joining me here. Follow him at catscratchreader.com as well as on Twitter at Tater596. Okay, if you make the move for Deshaun Watson, where does Curtis Samuel land? Does he land in that package that goes to Houston, or does he just get cut and he lands somewhere else on his feet? Uh, I think he's just allowed to walk. 
uh, in free agency because I mean we wouldn't really be able to trade him because he'd be a free agent anyway. We would right. have to set up a sign and trade kind of deal. Um, so, you know, I I think if you can work something out with Houston to say, okay, well, we'll trade you this and we'll make a deal with Curtis Samuel on your behalf uh, and essentially guarantee you the rights to Curtis Samuel. Um, but if I'm Houston, I'm about to trade away Deshaun Watson. I don't know if I'm interested in player Curtis Samuel. Um, you know, it seems like you're building for the long, long term. And Curtis Samuel is going to be a pretty expensive piece uh, that may not be exactly what you want to invest in at this time. Not mm-hmm. that I don't like Curtis Samuel a lot. Right. I just don't know if he's the guy that they would want. Not to mention they'll have so many first-round picks at that point. Uh, it just it makes sense to try to get somebody like Curtis Samuel through the draft. But, yeah. You know, Sam, Samuel is going to have a lot of options in free agency. There's a lot of teams that are going to want him. Uh, again, you know, I hate to bring up the familiar faces, but the Washington football team, the Buffalo Bills, they're all going to be in, they're going to be interested. Um, I don't see many teams that wouldn't be interested in his, in his services other than teams that are already loaded at wide receivers. So um, I think there's going to be a, a pretty big market for him, which is why I just don't think we're going to be able to keep him around. Wild card team that could be interested in Curtis Samuel. How about San Francisco? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, he he's he's proven that he would be useful for anyone. I mean, I think every team has a use for Curtis Samuel. Uh, any team that considers themselves uh, ready to make the playoffs now, you're going to find a use for Curtis Samuel. He's mm-hmm. a great gadget player. He's proven that he can get open. He can make the surface catch when necessary. Um, you know, he. I just don't see any possible reason why any team wouldn't want him, and absolutely the 49ers can make use of him because they could use another wide receiver out there. Most yeah, yeah, they they were hit with a litany of injuries so badly, and I've talked about this often. Curtis Samuel reminds me of a current receiver they have in Debo Samuel, kind of that jackknife receiver that can run the jet sweep, go get the difficult catch. They got one coming back that's as big as a tight end. Of course, I'm talking about Jalen Hurd out of uh, Baylor, who has yet to play in two years in the NFL due to back injury. So you're talking about a team, if they were to sweep in and snatch up Curtis Samuel without it costing them anything draft-wise or current player-wise, they are built, and people don't want to believe this because of what happened this past year. They're built to win now. And I'm talking about in the next four to five years. They are built to win multiple titles right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're a dangerous team. And they, they proved even this year that they can still hang with just about anybody. They may not have had the talent put them over the top, but they were a threat this year. They're a threat. They've been a threat for a while. Um, they're just well coached, and they've got players who believe in their system. And they, they're one of those teams that any given Sunday can definitely win if they – they have had really bad luck. I think everybody would agree, injury-wise, yeah. uh, substantially over the last two to three years. All they need is one year of normal NFL injuries, and they'll probably be able to push it over the top. Yeah, yeah, they were there in 2000, 2019, but when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you got to expect them to come back. Eric Summers joining me here. One more, a couple more. Where do you see J.J. Watt sure. landing? Uh, I see him landing with a team with a lot of cap space and a win-now mentality. Uh, as much as I would love to think, you know, Deshaun Watson gets traded to the Panthers and JJ's like, hey, I like Deshaun. Let's go play with the Panthers. Right. Um, I just don't, I don't see it happening and I don't know if, uh, 
I don't know if we can make the numbers work. Now, we may be able to long-term if J.J. were willing to take a sweet deal in his first year here. But, you know, J.J. is probably looking for a championship at this point. That's Mm -hmm. why he's so unhappy in Houston. And, you know, even if you get Deshaun Watson in Carolina, we're not a sure thing. There's still a lot of other pieces that need to be put in place. Watt could definitely help. There's no question about that. Um, but if I if I'm if I'm JJ Watt, you know I'm looking for a team that has a strong defense that's looking to really push itself into top defense uh, territory. You know I may mm-hmm. I may even call up my uh, my brother's team up in Pittsburgh and say, hey, what are you guys up to? Yeah, you know I, it, it could be that could be one sick unit with both PJ and JJ. Man, would it ever. And their third brother, Derek, is already there. There, His other brothers are already there in Pittsburgh. That could be the most likely landing spot. I talked about it earlier this morning, but I think it's Pittsburgh. Yeah, that that the marketing writes itself, man. You call it megawatt or kilowatt. Exactly. You you just got wide behind it. And it could be megawatt. It could really push Pittsburgh it, it could really push Pittsburgh over the top, you know. So I'm thinking yeah, it's want, Pittsburgh. You want to talk about, oh yeah, you want to talk about bringing back the Iron Curtain? Yes. I mean, tell me that wouldn't just absolutely jazz people in that, Pittsburgh to see that much talent. I don't know how you defend that. I don't think there's an offensive line in the league that can stop that. That would be uh, that would be impossible, impossible to defend. Yeah. Eric Summers joining me here. Hey, Panther Nation, keep pounding and check out Eric Sanders at catscratchreader.com, the best source for Carolina Panthers news and analysis on the web. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tater596. Always a pleasure to have you on, brother. Let's talk Panthers throughout the offseason yeah. and get everybody ready for next year. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm really thinking that it's going to be Pittsburgh that will land J.J. Watt. And as I said earlier this morning, if you're the Carolina Panthers, you go all in now to get Deshaun Watson. Back in a moment. Time to wrap this bad boy up, and Connor O'Neill has now joined me. Connor, how are you, my friend? Good to talk to you. I'm doing well, Brian. If you are, too. Uh, hanging in there. The big story, Jalen Johnson, people will say it one way. I'm going to say it truthfully. Jalen Johnson has quit on his team, cleaned out his locker, took his ball, and, and, and go home. Do you have a reason as to why he did this? I got my theories, but they're all theories right now. To be clear, this is Duke's Jalen Johnson because Wake yes. is Jalen Johnson yes. too. This is I this think is their middle Duke. initials are, are different. Yeah, this is Duke's <laughs> Jalen Johnson I'm referring to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't I don't have any insider info. I just have what has been tweeted and, and rumored. I mean it it has pretty terrible optics at this point. It looks like Duke played their best game of the season. And he played eight minutes and has a diminished role and thinks of himself as a top 10 pick. And if you're a top 10 pick, you probably don't think you should be playing eight minutes in a game. So, I mean, they're, they're using the foot injury as, as kind of an excuse here. And I think it's Mm -hmm. pretty flimsy. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they get to say that and, um, 
you know, the only real time that he'll he'll have to address it when it matters is closed interviews with NBA teams. So, you know, I'm sure there will be leaks about those meetings, and I'm sure there will be there will be plenty of rumors about what he tells NBA teams about what the truth is behind this. But yeah. What we know right now is is he is he has quit on his team because he has a reduced role. And I haven't seen – I've had a chance to watch a couple of Duke games and made a comparison from earlier in the year to now. Do you think he brought the reduced role on himself or did, was this something enforced by Coach K? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, Duke played some good basketball when he missed three games there in early January. And, you know, as – as great as he looked, I think his first game back was that game at Pitt that they lost, but he had a crazy stat line and it just, it felt like he was, you know, could do whatever he wanted on the court in that game. Um, he threw in some real clunkers. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think I read the comments from, from Coach K on Saturday that the physicality that NC State plays with, with Manny Bates and DJ Funderburk on the inside. Uh, they were better off having Henry Coleman the third and uh, Jamin Breakfield in the game. Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm sure that's a I'm sure that's a tough thing to read if you're Jalen Johnson. But at the same time, the guy, uh, I think I think Shashevsky's uh, won a thousand and fifty nine games at this point, or maybe it's maybe it's one thousand one hundred fifty nine. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely north of a thousand. Like. <laughs> He doesn't get to that point without having a pretty good sense of who can handle physicality and who can't. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and I made the theory that he brought it that he, that he brought it on himself, and because he wasn't getting the play playing time, he he threw a temper tantrum. This is what it's turning out to be. It's a temper tantrum. Connor O'Neill joining me here on the program. Let's look at let's look at North Carolina State. What has caused their free fall from being the dark horse to win the ACC? Well, I think you, you first and foremost, you have to look at the torn ACL for Devin Daniels. I mean, he was really playing at a high level. He was, he was everything that uh, Kevin Keats' guard needs to be. Right? He's he's long. He's able to penetrate defenses. He's able to hit threes in the game that they played against Wake. I think he hit his first four or five threes, and it just seemed like he could do whatever he wanted on the court. Um, so the torn ACL to him. <clears throat> It was just a devastating blow. Uh, the other factor that, that's kind of within their control is whatever has happened to DJ Funderburk is just, at this point, it's a mystery. I don't know if we'll ever learn the full story behind it, but I mean, I, I, got, <laughs> I went into the season thinking that he was one of the most underrated forwards in the ACC. And mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's been absent. Uh, he's not even the best forward on that team anymore. It's Manny Bates and uh, DJ Funderburk has just been a, a shell of what you figured he would be this season, and that's that's really hampered him. Stay with North Carolina State for just a second. You talked about this when we did our ACC preview, and I did it with uh, with a few uh, pundits here in the area. Weren't this? Isn't this what something you were afraid of that? a Kevin Keats squad would get off to a fast start 
and then something would just like pull the rug out from under them? Yeah, um, I I don't want to make this seem like I'm a doubter of Kevin Keith, but I do think that he has a a little bit of inflated reputation, and when you throw the Kevin Keith is a winner line out there so often that you know I. I'm, again, I'm not. I'm not a hater. I'm not a doubter. I just. I don't think he is quite as good as what the the success in the first two or three seasons indicated. I think that uh, he was able to get teams that that fit his mold with some holdovers that were left there from Mark Gottfried, and I think was also some uh, key transfer pickups like C.J. Bryce. Um. And I think that you're seeing, you know, you're seeing kind of the cows come home at this point. Um, and I, I don't know if he is as good as what he showed in, in his first few seasons. See, uh, Connor O'Neill joining me here. Follow him at Connor O'Neill N-O-O here on the here on the program to North Carolina now. And it seems like the last between in in the last six games, they'll have a game where you would be delighted that they have improved, but then they, they lay an egg. They laid one at Clemson, and then they ran into a brick wall in Virginia. As you look at some early bracketology, is Carolina in or out? Should lose to, uh, for example, Northeastern in this little uh, – it almost has the feel of a pickup game that they're mm-hmm. going to play on Wednesday night here. Um, a slip up could could have us singing the tune that they're they're on the outside looking in next week. Um, yeah, it's just it's they're a young team. They have young guards. Uh, I think they have a really talented front court, but I think, you know you win in college basketball with guards these days. Unless yeah. you're Florida State and you just have all wings, or you're Gonzaga and you just have all wings. <laughs> So, yeah, it's true. So I, I think what you're, yeah, I think what you're looking at with Carolina is is probably a you know nine or ten seed, and that's a really dangerous nine or ten seed because because they clearly they they can when they play to their best and when Caleb Love is is playing like a veteran point guard, they are really good and they are really tough to beat. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how often can he do that? Yeah. And the young guards need the young guards need to grow up because it is February right now. We're we're closing in on the end of the season, and you know some things just have to have to happen. Now we conclude our ACC Big Four wrap up with Wake Vor- Wake Forest. Any improvements with the Demon Deacons, and if so, what has Coach Steve Forbes gotten out of his team to this juncture of the season? Oh, I mean, there's there's a case to be made for the big four that Steve Forbes has gotten the most of what he has out of any coach in the state. Um, you know, again, it's, it's going to come off like I'm a hater, but it's just, it's not that talented of a roster. They missed an entire month in the season. They were without their best player for uh, two and a half months with Ian DeBose missing 74 games between days. And <laughs> They should have beat Florida State this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, they've won three. They've won three of their last six, and, and they're one defensive stop in regulation away from being able to say 
they've won four of their last six, won back-to-back ACC road games, which you would think in the ACC this season it's, it's easier to win on the road because yeah. almost nobody has a crowd, but it's almost the opposite. It's, it's, I think it's harder to win on the road in the ACC than it has in the previous years. Why do you think that it's is? A, it's a Wake Forest. I, it, it's it's tough to pinpoint. You never, I never try to judge that until I look at literally every single game because mm-hmm. you never know what the unbalanced schedule is going to turn out. You know, you, it's just without a schedule where everybody plays everybody twice, you just don't know how the matchups shake out. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, getting back to Wake Forest, like. This is a Wake team that, you know, they're, they're not that good. They're not they're not going to the NCAA tournament unless they win the ACC tournament. I don't know that they're capable of winning three or four game, three or four ACC tournament games in a row. But it's a team that is is showing improvement. Uh, every time you think that there's an area of deficiency that is really going to hurt them in a game, they're able to soothe it out, and, and that's not where they're hurt. They turn it into a plus, or at least they, they negate the other team's advantage. That's that's coaching, and that's playing tough and, and playing uh, with some fire. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It, it really is. Connor O'Neill joining me here talking ACC Big Four as we will take you to and through the ACC tournament in Greensboro as well as the rest of this season and – Follow the teams from the ACC that get into the big tournament. We'll follow them all the way through. Always a pleasure to have you on, my man. I really appreciate it. Always my pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Connor O'Neill joining me here on the program as he does every week, as I said, talking all things Atlantic Coast Conference. Man, it's been fun coming to y'all on uh, Snowman in the Morning. This morning, I got a few changes that are in the works and – you're going to have to all I, all I will say is to those who have doubted my show beware that's all I will say is beware thank you to Desmond Johnson my executive producer thank you to Marcus Hart our associate producer in studio producer is Dr. K aka my beautiful wife Jody and thank you to all the fans that tune in to this program want to help out go to Patreon.com slash official SIT morning for as low as five bucks a month. You can help this show climb the heights and continue to be on air and bring the best of sports talk to you as we grind towards our eighth season. Well, that'll do it for me. Have some more great guests for you. And I want y'all to enjoy the day until tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless. Remember to make your next move your best move. And always remember, if your dreams don't scare you, then they are not big enough. Dream big, do bigger. More great stuff for you and a, and a greater show for you tomorrow. Snowman's out of here. Signing off until 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. Thanks, everybody.